And now coming to you live from, well, the end of the Coot Street Advent calendar, it's Jonathan Strand and Gary K. Wolf on the the seasonal holiday adjusted, ready, frankly, for a little bit of bit of eggnog and a break, Coot Street Podcast. Hello, Gary. How are you? And uh, a happy new year to everybody. Happy holiday, happy advent, whatever that was and whoever it was. But Well, I think if this goes out on time, it's Christmas Eve, Gary. It's Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, happy Christmas Eve and and whatever other holidays. the the point uh, the point that we were making with the Advent calendar, were, I think, was two points. One is it's the end of the year when everybody puts together lists of books you're recommending yes. for next year. Locus is yes. doing this. You're doing it. I'm doing it. And we thought let's find the authors of the books we're recommending, or at least some of the books we're recommending, and just chat with them. And it's yeah. been a delightful few weeks recording these short converse. A bunch of writers, all of whom seem to have interesting things planned for next year. Pretty much. One or two, Gary. One or two have to spend some time finishing them and won't come back to us till 2024, I guess. Well, yes. But um, certainly a few of, many of them do have something. I mean, in that inexorable system that is, you know, commercial publishing, they have something coming and it's going to be interesting. And there are certainly, and this is something we will talk about in the coming months, I'm sure, as we move into 2023. 2023. 2023. Gosh. There's going to be all kinds of exciting books, all kinds of books I'm interested in already, all kinds of books I can't wait to get my hands on or to read or to talk about. And I'm sure the same is true for you. Oh, we're already reading in that, and there are some terrific, um, about terrific collections coming out that I'm already reading novels and this sort of thing. But I want to go back to that one comment you made about sometimes people don't have something coming out because one of the things that I imagine would be frustrating for uh, especially a novelist or somebody who writes infrequent short stories and doesn't have a lot of collections coming out is as soon as you do something wonderful, as soon as you write uh, a novel that is widely acclaimed, is going to be up for awards, it's, uh, and the, the next question is, what are you going to do next? I think that one of the things we need to recognize is that let's celebrate what you've already done. You know, let's wallow in your uh, in your glory while it's there, and don't worry about uh, having to follow up on it. Uh, there's a I sense think that's very true. I mean, we had a conversation once long ago with William Gibson, um, and I, I, I said something like, "By standards, by by the standards we expect from science fiction and fantasy writers, he doesn't write that much." And his response was. In terms of general literature, he's pretty much on schedule with everybody else. It's only in genre. It's not only science yes. fiction and fantasy, but in mysteries, where you have this expectation of a book a year, uh, filling yeah, your contract out, true. three book contracts, this sort of thing. Um, so, so, yeah, by and large, uh, they're, they're, it's, it's a cruel industry that doesn't allow people to celebrate their accomplishments before it starts asking, what else have you got? It's very true. And I think that our awareness of the passage of time is both bl more blurred and more acute in a way right now, having gone through the pandemic and finding ourselves looking around at what's happening and how long does it take to do things and what's mm -hmm. happening and what does it mean? And How's that influenced? I mean, the year. I mean, you look at the, the books that were the best books of the year, Gary. You know, if you look at Adam Roberts' The This or mm. Ray Naylor's, you know, The Mountain in the Sea or Niveau's book, or if you look at Spear or you look at all these books, mm -hmm. they're all different. Yeah. I, I don't have a nice, neatly encapsulated thing that will synopsize them to people going, 
this is what the year was, you know? I mean, we were saying just before we started, because we were having another conversation, this is a year where good writers wrote well. Uh huh. There were some great books published. And if you can't find something, you're really not looking. You know, Spear by Nicola Griffith is as fine a short fantasy novel as the field has seen. But there are fine epic fantasies, comic fantasies. There are hard science fiction novels, space operas. Uh, there are anthologies. There are collections, all kinds of things out there for readers who are looking for something interesting and new. One of the things that we are always trying to do at the uh, Locus Recommended Reading List essays that we write at the University is to try to find patterns. And trying to find patterns in what happened during a year is is always a losing game. What we're really trying to do is impose patterns on, on a random sure. selection of books. Um, I mean, there's one I saw this year, which I will be probably talking about in the year in essay, which is a, a lot of fantasies with historical settings. A lot of good mm -hmm. fantasies with historical settings came out this year. I don't know whether that's a coincidence of what I happen to read or if it happens every year, but you mentioned Spear, which is an extremely well-researched, uh, you know, Arthurian era whales, uh, the uh, Guy Kays, all the oceans of the world, Se all the seas of the, world. the world. All um, seas of the world, great book. Which is, you know, his alternate uh, Europe. There is... Uh, even even Hollywood, history of Hollywood, and Nevo's The Siren Queen. So a lot of uh, good historical fiction is, is also good fantasy fiction. Does that happen every year? Maybe it does. Maybe I just happen to see it this year. Um, maybe it's not a pattern. Maybe it is. I, I know that there is a desire to be able to neatly synopsize a 12-month period when that makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all. We the things that are driving the sort of books that we're talking about have been driving them for the last three, four, five years, mm -hmm. longer, you know, particularly in science fiction circles, the impact of, of the Anthropocene and climate change is dominant and overwhelming. In the kind of books that we're reading and talking about that are seen as being quote-unquote award-worthy, we're looking mm -hmm. at books that are inclusive, books that are analytical and critical of history, books that are trying to contextualize in a, in, in a modern way what, what yeah. they're doing. You look at a book like Babel by R.F. Quang, which is widely acclaimed, very much doing. So that's there, but that's been there for a while now. And as we've said so often, at the same time, everything else that used to be there is still there. David mm -hmm. Weber is still writing space operas that, although I haven't read the latest ones, I'm willing to bet are fundamentally the same as he wrote 20 years ago. I read a book, a debut novel by... Travis Baldry called uh -huh. Legends and Lattes. Legends and Lattes could pretty much without change be dropped into an ace paperback in 1980 with a Walter Velez cover mm -hmm. uh, along the lines of another fine myth or whatever else. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of modernization, but not very much at all. So, which doesn't make it a bad book, it's just a piece of light entertainment, yeah. you know, and, and that's just the nature of it. It's been. You know, but it has been a tiring year, Gary, I have to tell you. I don't know how it is for you, but, you know, I'm ready to hang up the shutter. I mean, not so much because of the, of the podcast, which has been a joy and a delight, but just the year has been, it's been a year, Gary. And there are two ways of looking at it. One is just talking about what's being, what we've read, what we've seen, what books are out there. The other is what happens in terms of uh, the community. And, and in terms mm. of the community, it felt like a year 
where there was there were halting steps back toward normality. There was a Worldcon here in Chicago that felt like an old-fashioned Worldcon in many ways. It was a big hotel; lots of people showed up. It wasn't a giant one like we had ten years ago in Chicago. World Fantasy in New Orleans was delightful. Uh, so, but but I still have this sense that uh, of, of not having fully reconnected yet. Uh, and I don't think we'll get that sense back for a few years because uh, we, we were talking before we started recording this that um, seeing old friends is great, but seeing them once after two or three years' absence isn't the same thing as seeing them year in and year out. <clears throat> and so we're starting to get back into rhythm. Um, and I think because we're only beginning to do that, every new event is a little bit stressful and that you have to see these people, you have to make contact with these people because. You haven't seen them in years, and you may never see them again. But in fact, you will see them again. In fact, the schedule will get back to normal. So some of the stress, I think, has to do with simply connecting with people. And I think less of it has to do with the books that are coming out, because as you say, all the books are always coming out, and good writers are always writing good books. I think good writers are always writing good books. I do believe that. And I do believe there's more great short fiction than any sane person can read, and so on and so forth. Um... I don't know if the old normal is coming back. I really don't. I mean, three years is long enough to change patterns. Well, that's there are some true. good things that will happen. There are some, but certainly one thing that's true. I mean, the pandemic, whether you mark it as over or not over, will continue to echo for a long time, and we're still so close to it that there's not a lot, not a lot of difference between what it was and what it is. True, we're masking you. It's no longer a casual decision to attend a convention. Right. It is a deliberate, energetic decision. You have to want to be there. And there's a whole bunch of people who I don't think are ever coming back. They are concerned and worried, mm-hmm. and they are, they're done and out. And that population turnover is something to be mourned, frankly. You know? And we'll see how 2023 impacts that. I want to be optimistic about it, but I'm cautious. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people won't attend World World Convention WorldCon, for example. Um, World Fantasy may be more successful in terms of getting people together. It's entirely possible the Winnipeg NASFIC will be a big deal, mm-hmm. or something else. I do know that you know it's twenty twenty three. There'll be a John Scalzi novel come out, yeah, because we know he's finished one. There's going to be, you know, I think we'll get the next Nicola Griffith novel. You know, uh, Mainboard, mm-hmm. uh, and there will be other stuff, but it's going to be strange, Gary. I, I, I think, I think hoping for the new, for the old normal to return is folly. You're probably right, and and it's very possible that the old normal was never that normal anyway. It was simply everybody's unique experience. Um, but uh, whether or not we reconnect at conventions and and, and in person. Uh, I, I think you're right. The, the the stuff that knits the field together is is the fiction, and I don't see any reason to assume that that's going to slow down or become less interesting. Uh, I just think that if, if we're trying to find some wild new thing every year, like the, the the well, the new space opera, and I know you've been thinking about the new new space opera, and what is new about the new new space opera that wasn't new about the old new space opera that in fact is different from the original space opera. I don't know that that necessarily is a, a useful way of trying to uh, gauge progress in the field. The fact is people, people have always done interesting things with space opera and will always do interesting things with space opera. But I think it's most people who are also always going to want 
a thing to be happening during their time. That could be. You know, in, in the 60s, the new wave were a real thing. Mm-hmm. In the 40s and 50s, the golden age was a real thing. Uh, I think there's undeni- it's undeniable that in the 80s, through the mid to the late 80s, cyberpunk and the post-humanist, uh-huh. real. And I think there's a lot, to, an, an, a lot to be said that, you know, sort of that period towards the end of the 90s into the 2000s when new space opera and the new weird was going on was also a thing. But you can't expect to have that happen all the time. Um, I think there is something happening. I think the the impact of climate change and the impact of the pandemic will roll on and impact things. But it's not going to be neatly synopsizable. You know, we live in a time when, you know, there are major event anthologies coming out that kind of um, give you an idea of what's happening, and that's good. I mean, obviously this year there was a couple of them. There was, there was what was it, The Way Spring arri- Arrives, the, yeah. um, chi- you know, the Chinese anthology. There was Africa Risen. There was some other stuff. Those are important. It'll be interesting to see how important they are over time, but they're important as, as a contemporary statement of the moment. There's just all this stuff. And, and the challenge for you and me, and there's a huge challenge for you and me, uh, is to try to remain open to that and fre- uh, fresh about to find fresh new things. Well, and I think doing it um, year after year, especially when you look at more and more people entering the field. In other words, I think you're right. I think for decades, uh, the progress, quote unquote, of science fiction was measured in movements like the new wave or cyberpunk or the new weird and so forth and so on. The last several years, it's been more looking at where does science fiction and fantasy come from? So we've suddenly, the the trend in the last several years, which I think is a very healthy one, is getting South Asian science fiction and Chinese and Japanese and African and South and Latin American. Um, All of this is something we're being well aware of. If you look at the stories in these various anthologies, from Africa Risen to Golang's Book of South Asians, a lot of them fit into categories that we already have. There's some space opera stories, there are satirical stories, there are political satires, there are science fiction horror stories. But now we're in an era in which the expansion of the field is, uh, the inclusivity of the field is the movement, in effect. the other thing that's a challenge, I was thinking about it as you're talking, is this. This podcast, quite a lot of the places that review, that think about, that talk about the field, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, the field itself, to some degree, all share one thing, a common gaze. You, know, you talk about the male gaze, this kind of thing. Mm. The, the tools of analysis for science fiction and fantasy share a U.S. gaze. Probably true. You know, it's inclusion for the U.S., it's covering this for the U.S. And I think how that's going to change, because, I mean, if you think about it, quite a lot of the writers who we have come across as people who are familiar with that gaze yeah. over the last five or ten years, from South Asia, from Africa, from Europe, from China, they are new to us, not new to their local readerships or other allied readerships. You know, and I think that's something for us to think about. To what extent are we being tied into this one gaze? I mean, you and I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. through Locus and everything else, right? Talking about, you know, that. And I mean, Locus has to because it is written for and published in North America and the United States. It has to have a US gaze. That's its purpose, right? Oh, but what about true. something beyond that? I, I think to some extent from what I'm, I'm gathering 
from people I've talked to and from the introductions to various anthologies, that it's, it's yes and no. For example, in South Asian and Korean science fiction and Japanese, and it, actually every one of these uh, national anthologies has mentioned the fact that there's a creation of a community going on in these mm-hmm. various parts of the world right now. In other words, uh, science fiction is finally becoming accepted in various countries in exactly the same way that it happened in the United States and England and Australia, being marginalized, being treated as non-literary, and finally gaining some respect, gaining the attention of publishers. <clears throat> so I get a sense that in Africa Risen, for example, there are a lot of African writers who are thinking, finally, there is a place to put these stories. Um, and the same thing happened in, in Pakistan and, and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and India and so forth and so on. Um, there is a sense of self-discovery. There's a sense that science yeah. fiction is becoming acceptable in sure. in literary cultures around the world. And the other thing that a lot of these introductions have in common is that literary snobs are still there, whether it's in England or the UK or <laughs> Korea or Bangladesh. They still are going to dis- dislike what we do. And that's true. Well. That's true. Though I guess before we try to sort of do the 2023 podcasts before 2023 starts, mm-hmm. we have to go back to what you yourself said as we sort of segue through this. And that is stop to just celebrate what's happened. It's enough that, you know, there have been several major anthologies of African mm-hmm. uh, and African diaspora fiction this, this year. Yeah. There have been several major anthologies of Chinese and South Asian fiction this year. There has been a major retrospective of feminist science fiction published this year. Mm-hmm. There have been a whole string of novels across a broad spectrum from major established writers and from brand new voices. Right. And that's got to make you feel pretty pretty good. I mean, you know, I've got to be honest, I have struggled as a reader this year. You know, I've struggled to start books, I've struggled to finish books, but there's still been enough, you know. And that's that that's a good thing. Well, that's, that's kind of the point I've made many times is that um, the books I read, I, I, I don't feel the need to keep up, quote, keep up with the field in all its aspects. Um, if, there, if, if, there's, if there's a book I get bogged down in, and this happens to me, it's happened to me a couple of times, with books I expected to absolutely love, mm-hmm. uh, there's always another book on the pile. And, if I, and, and, and that pile has got more book, more good books than not in it. And and, and part of the issue with any reader is that sometimes a book by on a favorite author will just hit a blind spot where you can't get through it. But, but the point I think you're making is that there are a lot more books that are interesting. For some reason this year, I was reading a lot of good historical fantasies. Doesn't mean there weren't good space operas out there. I didn't come across a lot of them. But the fact is, there's enough out there to satisfy anybody's appetite. And I don't see how anybody or why anybody should feel guilty or inadequate for not having read everything that came out during the year. The fact is, <laughs> nobody can do that. Nobody should do that. If you are doing that, you need help. Stop right now. Stop. I, mean, I guess what we should say is, you know, it's, well, okay, for a few people who listen to this at the time, and my guess is most won't because it's a little nutty, Gary. I mean, don't you have other things <laughs> to be doing? But it's, you know, it's Christmas Eve. Um We've had close to 50 episodes out. We snuck around. We, we, we did the advent calendar and slid 28 more in mm-hmm. just to make sure that we didn't jip the readers um, and I, or listeners. And I think that we've done that. And I'm pretty happy with it. You know, so sort of as we look back from the perspective of 
probably, I think this will be episode 600, good God, 620 something. Good grief. You know, so after 620, I feel like we should should apologize to everybody. <laughs> no one was looking forward to 620 episodes. And I think if we apologize, that was the sound of whiskey, of cork going back in a whiskey bottle. <laughs> Irony. Got, it's morning where Gary is. Yes. I think if we look at it, it's like, and with apologies to Evelyn Leeper, <laughs> long-time correspondent and cherished listener, who has complained that I talk too quickly on the podcast, is I'm sure correct. You know, we're still talking. Uh, we're pushing towards the end of 13 years of talking, and I'd see no end in sight, no desire to to stop. There's always a new book to read, a new conversation to have, a new thing to look at, and cherish things to look back at. I mean, I haven't listened to it yet, which is terrible since I posted it. <laughs> but you know, just today, just today, when we're talking, you've spoken to John Clute. Yes. Who we have respectively known for a decade and cherish and love and value for all sorts of great reasons. You know, just as, you know, I spoke at the beginning of the, the Advent calendar with Alex Jennings, who... I've not encountered before, though I've mm. read you know, his book, and you know, it, it, it's it's just a delight to get to do it. That's the exact reaction I had: is that they're yeah, they're reconnecting with old friends and continuing conversations from years ago, and and meeting a lot of new people who uh, I, I had very little expectations because reading a book by somebody doesn't give you a sense of personality. I came away with the feeling that this field is in very good health. That there are bright, imaginative, articulate, thoughtful people um, uh, in every corner of it, and I was just uh, d- delighted at, at at this business of meeting. It, it, essentially, what we've been trying to do with these yeah. uh, one-a-day podcasts is recreate some of the sense of wandering around at a convention and meeting somebody at a bar that you hadn't met before and having a twenty-minute conversation. Um, and it, it, it worked. It certainly made me feel that uh, the, the field is in good shape and we've got a lot of really nice, smart, creative people doing things that we'll want to check in on uh, for the next year or so. Find out what happens when Meanwood comes out from Nicola Griffiths finally. Uh, Will it be any good? Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll probably be really, really good, but uh, we'll wait and see. The fact is we... We'll wait and see. see. But I guess it's fair to say that I, and I think I, you, know, you, would like to thank each and every listener who has downloaded and listened to a podcast, who's given us a reason in some ways to keep doing this crazy thing that we've done for 620 or something mm-hmm. iterations, and will continue to do so until such times as nobody's left listening. The, the heat death of the podcast? <laughs> well... Look, the truth is, we'll keep talking anyway if no one's listening. Yeah, we'll keep. Uh, this the thing is, uh, for for those who haven't listened to Jonathan or I repeat this story endlessly, these conversations were happening before we started recording them, and they will continue happening afterwards. But we're glad that you're listening in when you are, and if you are, so you're absolutely are. right. Thank you to all the downloaders and all the uh, all the people who get back to us uh, with with comments and suggestions, like Evelyn. Uh, hi, Evelyn. We'd like to hear more from, from people like uh, like Evelyn. So feel yeah. free to drop notes and uh, and, and you know, and also sort of thanks to all those friends of the podcast, those John Clutes and Liz Hands and Kids Johnsons and so many others, Kelly Robsons and others, and to those people who are new to the podcast and who made time. Uh, one of the 
genuine disappointments is that for reasons truly beyond our control, the live podcast we recorded in Chicago with Ogden Chovway, Donald Ekpeki, and Cherie Renee Thomas, and um, Maurice Broadus was lost to us. So we will have to do something to make, make up for it. I mean, certainly one of my personal delights was getting to talk to Maurice on the podcast. Yes. I, I hope we will you know, make up for that. But, you know, uh, other than that, it has been a joy and a pleasure. And I look forward to continuing it. Probably not this coming week. It's like we're going to Christmas and New Year, and then we'll yeah. see where we are with, with 2023 kicking off. I don't know what we're going to do. Nothing special. But we'll do something. We'll think of something. Something. You know, something. go read a book. I mean, you know, it's like it's Christmas <laughs> Eve. Go, I mean, go read a book. Watch a Christmas movie. Next week, read a book or do something. And look forward to the books that are coming. I mean, Ian McDonald spent 20 years working on Hopeland, and it's coming out in the first yes. quarter of the year, right? Look forward to that. Um, I saw R.F. Quang has a new book coming out called Yellowface. Look forward to that. There are scads of first novel, you know? I mean, one thing I've never doubted since I started talking about this field was the health of the art of it. Yes. The health of the business is always a question, but the health of the art has always been unquestioned. But anyway, thank you to everybody. And very, very particularly, thank you to you. And to you too, sir. Um, and until 2023, I guess we can say that for, for 2022, this has been the Cood Street Podcast. Good God, it has been. Peace.